Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. And so in the middle of the night, I hear a voice, and I I knew I wasn't crazy. I wasn't schizophrenic. It was the most true thing I had ever heard. And it said, Julie, I love you. And that voice, that voice, that love woke me up. And I knew right there that somewhere, someone loved me. Despite the fact that by then I had had two abortions, I actually was working as a volunteer at for Planned Parenthood, talking to other people into having abortions. Um, and I had slept with so many men. I was the worst sinner ever. But it didn't seem, it sounds funny, but it didn't seem to matter because someone out there loved me. Today's guest has an unbelievably powerful testimony. We're joined today by Julie Anna Rose. She's a Christian therapist, a writer, a speaker, a filmmaker. The list goes on. Today on Connections, she's going to share with us about her childhood, what she experienced, and how she managed to forgive at the end of all of this. Julianne Rose joins us today. She's a Christian therapist, a filmmaker, a licensed ordained minister, and that list goes on. Julie, we want to get to know you a little bit better. You sound like a very successful woman, but your life leading up to all of this wasn't exactly pretty. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like for you growing up. So, yes, I was raised in the mountains of Montana, which is absolutely beautiful, um, you know, on the outside, but the inside of our home was just filled with trauma. Um, my father was basically, you know, as I look back now after studying mental illness and all of that, he was basically a sociopath. Um, and he would beat me. He sexually abused me. He sold me to other men for them to sexually abuse me. So, um, and he was the... Um, the complicated thing was that he was very he was very wealthy, hmm. and so basically they literally my my parents literally owned the town of Libby, Montana, and so um, and that was his uh, you know he had all this power and influence in that town, so literally there was no one that I could talk to or go to. Um, so, anyways, I was a little girl that um, I felt like a rag doll that was just tossed aside used up and tossed aside and uh it was a it was a hard childhood but i found refuge in um actually my horse i had a horse named chico and uh after i got home from school and did uh, the multitude of chores i had to do i would jump on his back and just ride through through the mountains and through the wildflowers and uh that was my refuge as well as my grandmother my grandmother was um, this sweet little woman. Um, she was like four foot eight, this little tiny woman. <laughs> and um, when she would talk about herself, she would say, Julie, I may not be very pretty and I may not be very smart, but I can love better than anyone. Wow. And I was like a baby duck. I just followed everything my grandma did and I just gobbled up every piece of love that she, that she had for me. You were a young child. What was going through your mind? while experiencing all of this and experiencing this from your father, because most of us won't understand this or even comprehend it? Um, I guess confusion. Um, I thought I equated sex with love because that's the only time he said he loved me was when he was taking my clothes off and having sex with me. 
Or I was, I was, it was interesting, I just did some research on my own life and praying through my own life, and I was, I was everybody's sunshine. I was supposed to be the happy one, bring, you know, bring happiness to these men that were abusing me, and, uh, and anyway, so, yeah, so that was my role, and so confusion um, under, you know, not being very, very lonely, but it's interesting, Colleen, um, I was just actually talking to some people at K-Love, but K-Love Radio, but I was telling them that despite the fact that I was being abused, I had all this incredible love for me, in me that no one could take away and, and joy. Um, I think, you know, being raised in the mountains and in the beautiful Rocky Mountains was my, was my joy, was my refuge. And I remember just getting beat up really bad by my dad. And he must have, I must have been like five years old, not, not very old at all. And going to this waterfall, we, you know, we were, I was raised right by this waterfall that I would go and when someone would abuse me, I would like cleanse myself, cleanse myself. Under this waterfall. Um, so anyway, I went to this waterfall, and I looked. I was standing under the waterfall, looking up at this great big mountain. And I said to myself, I said, the love in my heart is bigger than this mountain. Help me, God, love a broken world. And little did I know um, that God was going to accomplish that beautiful, um, you know, beautiful statement that I just said, and I meant it, and I still mean it, to the depths of who I am. So was your faith strong through all of this then? When you're talking right now, like you said, you were filled with this joy. Did you have a faith when all this was happening? Well, you know, I was raised in, we were, you know, we went to the Catholic Church and everything was in Latin. So I had no understanding of anything the priest was saying. <sighs> but despite that, I still, I didn't, I did I don't know if I look back and I, I don't know if I had a faith or even, you know, knew who God was, but obviously God knew who I was. And he, he met me in some just incredible, miraculous way, ways to just kind of show up and give me hope. Does that mean that I didn't go through pure horror? Yes, absolutely I did in every way. I mean, being sexually abused physically abused, beat up really bad by my father, and then being, being sold to men. Um, yes, I went through through a nightmare. But God, it, I, as I look back now on my story, God's love got me through. God's joy got me through. And I always had a, like this, this unending um, fountain of joy in me, despite of everything I went through. And I know... Bottom line, um, I had a whole lot of resilience and a whole lot of determination to basically just live. But um, I know that God was meeting me in profound ways, even though I may not even have known it. It's amazing how you can say that because we haven't even touched half half of your life and what happened. You had what happened in your own home. Then you decided to take off eventually because you became pregnant. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was, uh, I think I was, between my 16th and 17th year, I must have been like, just turned 17, um, I became pregnant, and I didn't even know who from. Um, It could have been one of the men that I was being sold to. It could have been my father. Um, It could have been the 
numerous boys that I was having sex with. Like I said before, I equated sex with love. So I got pregnant, and all I knew was um, that my home became very violent at that time. My father started beating me even more. Um, They didn't give me a choice. They took me to an abortion clinic in Spokane, Washington, and I was forced to have an abortion, which just sucked the life out of me in every single way. I didn't want to do this. I, I didn't have. I really didn't have a choice because um, I, you know, I had nowhere to go. So um, and so anyway. So I went and had an abortion, and then after I got home, for the next like, uh, let me see, it must have been about six months before I graduated from high school. It my it was pure, it was pure horror in my home. I was beat up so bad that um, one night I was my head. My father beat my head against the fireplace um, until I blacked out, and um, I woke up in my room. I was filled with pain because he had kicked me. He had beat my head against the fireplace, and I just knew. Bottom line is, I knew I had to get out of there. So I I waited till everyone was asleep, and my father he he like bullied and threatened me by having guns right outside my door. Wow. Um, he was a hunter, you know, almost everyone was in the Rockies. But when I woke, when I, first, first of all, when I woke up after being unconscious from being beat up, he came in with a gun and said, if you tell anybody, I'll, I'll kill you. Mm. And I knew that he was at the end of his, his rage and I knew he would. So I waited and waited and waited. I remember just hearing the clock tick and it's like, I'm waiting till everyone, everyone goes to sleep for an at least an hour before I leave. And so I waited and waited, and it was a spring runoff, meaning that all the water was coming down the mountains. Mm. But I didn't even care about, you know, getting a boots or coat or anything, which was in the closet by the front door. I crawled out my window, and I ran to a phone booth. And uh, just in, in my mind, I could, like, see my father, like, coming down you know, coming in and with his gun and killing me. So I was in pure terror. And I ran to a phone booth and I called a girl, a, a girlfriend. And, you know, the phone calls, this was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have cell phones, obviously. Yeah. And it was, it, was, there, it was a dime to make a call. I didn't have a dime, but the operator put me through. And this, my girlfriend came and got me. And her father literally protected me until I, the day after I graduated from high school, I took my diploma and walked, not telling anyone, um, about two miles to the train station, um, all by myself with a pair of jeans and a shirt, and got on that train and left. And what happened from there? Because at this point now, you you have nothing. You you have your diploma, but what else do you have? What did you do from there? So for five years, I literally... uh, I literally became a prostitute Um, just, you know, for, I I didn't even have enough self-esteem to ask for money. You know, I had a place, I would have a place to sleep, a place to, you know, a meal to eat. And I just, and, you know, I just did a study on on runaways. It's, it's a miracle that I lived. I mean, the statistics show that, that, you know, I can't, I don't have the statistic in my head, but, but the majority of people that run away, they either end up dead or they end up in trafficking. And I, that could have happened to me a number of times. I, I remember, like, thinking about how I had slept with, like, 100 men. 
And um, but anyways, God saved my life in every way. And um, and at that point in my life, I decided I was going to better myself. So I went to technical school and um, was getting a, a you know a certificate in secretarial science. Um, but anyway, so I became really close with this girl named Becky, and Becky was like my home. She was like everything to me, and she would always say to me, um, we're looking for something, and I had no idea what she was saying. We're looking for another guy. We're looking for another drug trip. You know, mm. we're looking for a party, but um, at that time in my life, Becky was like my home, and then um, I, I got a call shortly after we graduated from technical from secretarial school, and she had been murdered. And so that just took it out of me. And I remember going to her funeral, um, you know, on her gravesite, drinking a, a keg of beer with all our party friends. Wow. And at that point in my life, I just wanted to die. I just wanted to commit suicide. I wanted to go where Becky went. I had no idea where that was, but I wanted to be with her. So I... Um, I had it all planned out. I had a bottle of pills, and um, I had a place to sleep that night. I was in this little uh, rooming house, and I uh, I went to take that bottle of pills and commit suicide, and I was digging my fingernails into my hands until they bled, and I just kept shouting out, no, 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 God, where are you, God? And my hands were bleeding. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I was that desperate. And finally, I took that bottle of pills, threw them in the waste paper basket, fell back on my bed and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Um, I'm talking about my whole body. And I work with women in prisons and, you know, very broken people. And I under- they understand my whole body just was just sobbing. And I sobbed myself to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I heard a voice. And that voice said, Julie, I love you. And 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 I heard it, I, you know, in my sleep, I heard it. And it, it, I felt all this incredible hot love just run right through me. And it was, it, I was so persistent that I hear it, that it, I, it woke me up. And so in the middle of the night, I hear a voice and I'm, I knew I wasn't crazy. I wasn't schizophrenic. It was the most true thing I had ever heard. And it said, Julie, I love you. And that voice, that voice, that love woke me up. And I knew right there that somewhere, someone loved me, despite the fact that by then I had had two abortions. I actually was working as a volunteer at for Planned Parenthood, oh, wow. talking other people into having abortions. Um, and I had slept with so many men. I was the worst sinner ever. But it didn't seem, it sounds funny, but it didn't seem to matter because someone out there loved me. This is really when your life begins to change. When my life, well, it took a couple years um, for God to find me, but uh, my life started to change. Um, I was just persistent. I find out where this voice was coming from because every time I, I tried to hurt myself, the voice would come back. And so then I started, I enrolled myself at the University of Minnesota um, when I had actually taken my ACT scores, SAT scores in high school. I was so in trauma that I was just, I knew, know now that I was disassociating. So 
I had tested out as mentally retarded. So it took me two years to catch up to be to become a freshman at the University of Minnesota. But then at that point, I met this girl, and she was just radiant with life. Her name was Michelle, and she invited me to a Bible study, and I accepted Christ. What amazes me, though, with your story is what happens at the end. And, and when you actually, you return to your home, to your childhood home. Yes, I return home um, when my... Um, when my kids were small, I have four, four adult children, um, but I went home with uh, now my ex-husband, but we took the kids back there because I wanted them to meet their grandparents, and, uh, but I didn't trust my, my parents, mm-hmm. but I wanted them to meet them. And, uh, and anyway, so someday I'll tell more about, talk more about uh, what, what my parents did to them, which was a nightmare as well. They tried to hit them. And I caught my father's hand and said, you'll never touch my children. But anyway, so, but I had to forgive them. I had to forgive, especially my father and my mother too, because she allowed this to happen. So I, um, I, I was actually at that point, I was reading the, the, uh, the one year Bible. And I just happened to be on the story of Joseph. And I knew that I had to forgive, forgive them because, um, the, the anger was, was eating me up. I had ulcers, and I knew it wasn't because I, you know, I knew it was because of this bitterness and unforgiveness. Yeah. Although I held it in, um, a typical woman that holds in um, my, my anger and my, my rage and took it out on myself, and you know, and I, but I didn't want to take it out on my kids in any way, shape, and form. So we went back there, and... Um, and my parents owned like the biggest house in town and, but they wouldn't let us stay there even though they had like eight bedrooms and it was just them there then. So, but I decided at that point that I, whatever, what, what mattered most important was that I could forgive them. So, um, so we went and got this, you know, hotel. We didn't have a lot of money, but we went and got a hotel and, and, um, and anyway, I started walking. My, my parents also had this private lake. So every morning I would get up and I would go to the private lake and I would walk around because it was private and it was just so beautiful. No one was around and the fog was coming off the, the lake. And uh, so anyway, um, I called my parents and um, just left a message. They often would not pick up if, even if I called them. So I just left a message and I said, for the next 10 days while we're here, I am going to be bringing a meal to the picnic table outside your house every night. I'm going to bring a meal, and don't worry, I'm going to bring paper plates and everything that we need to eat. You don't have to bring a thing, just come. Just come and and, and spend time with your grandchildren. So uh, the first night after I left that message, we come with, you know, our bucket of fried chicken and everything for this picnic, and my father showed up, didn't really engage with the kids much, but just showed up and just sat there and then ate and then left. So so pretty much every night he came um, and slowly started, you know, talking to his grandchildren. Um, but I was very, very watchful. In mm-hmm. fact, that's when one of the times that, that he tried to hit them. 
But anyway, so um, so slowly by the end, the last night, I le- uh, the last day, I left a message and I said, "Mom, I said we're coming. We would like to see you before we leave." Because she hadn't come out yet. So she comes out and sits at the table, doesn't even engage at all with her old grandchildren, uh-huh. and then she just uh, eats and then gets up and just goes goes in the house. So I go and um, I knock on the door and say, Mom, can I come in? And she just kind of blurted out for a minute. And so I go in and my mom was had her back to me at the kitchen sink. And I, and I went and I hugged her and I said, Mom, I forgive you. Wow. And she turned around. She had tears in her eyes. My mother was not, she was a very hard woman. But she had tears in her eyes and she said, how could you forgive me? I said, I can forgive you for all that, that Christ has forgiven me for. And so then I went, and my father was at the in the driveway, and I the same thing with him. And um, for the first time, I got near him, and I wasn't sickened by the smell of him because you know that like in the, you know it would of course bring up all my trauma. But I just went and and I I said, Dad, can I hug you? And he just looked at me and said, what? I said, can I hug you? And I hugged him. And I said, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you for everything that you did to me. Hmm. And for the first time ever, I saw him crumble on the driveway. He just literally crumbled and started sobbing. And he said, how could you forgive me? And I said the same thing to him. I said, um, I can forgive you for all that all that God has done for me and how he has forgiven me. And I walked away. It is so unbelievable. Got in the, got in the car with my kids, yes. Got in the, the, the van with my, with my, my then-husband and children and felt free. Just felt like all of the weight, the huge weight of bitterness and anger was gone. And it was gone. It's unbelievable how God can do these things. He can work through all of this. How do you forgive someone that has violated you in that way? But you've just shown us how. Yes, I, I um, you know, I, I, I did it for, I didn't do it for him. I didn't expect any response from him mm. except pain. Um, I did it for me. And I, and I did it for my relationship with God. Because I needed to understand every, I wanted every sin, every dark part in me to be filled with God's pure and holy love. And absolutely worked in every single way. Does that mean that things didn't get stirred up in the future um, with anger towards my parents? Like one, one day they just showed up at at, um, at our place in Minnesota um, when my 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 ex-husband was gone. They showed up in a motor home and tried to hit my kids. Does that mean that anger didn't come up? Absolutely did. But I I, I took the first big step in, um, in forgiveness and learned that I could do it. I could do it no matter what they, he had, especially him, what he had done to me, I could forgive. I could do that for myself. I could do it as a mom so I didn't carry that anger with me. And um, and I could do do that, and and I prayed that I could really kind of be a um, 
maybe it's trailblazer mm-hmm. in in my relationship with God and and all that God had done for me. Another amazing thing in all of this is now you're using your own experience. You've you've turned your life around and you are using your experience to help others going through similar situations. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to nowadays. Yes, so um so yes, so twenty years ago I created a program called In the Wildflowers. It was for women that had been sexually traumatized and it is used all over the country and in other countries as well. Um, but I've wanted to, my heart of hearts, I've worked with men, women, and children that have been sexually traumatized, as well as other types of trauma. Typically, you know, sexual, sexual trauma is not isolated. There are always, I mean, I should say always, almost always other traumas connected with it. So I, I rewrote all of my wildflower program, and it's, the wildfire program was originally 10 steps. This now is 17 steps. And um, I've rewritten it. Um, I've just finished, as of like yesterday, the proposal to begin to uh, produce it. And the, the film trailer um, that I've been working on for actually a couple years <laughs> is finally being finished. It should be done hopefully in the next week. And then it will be sent out to fundraising. It's a it's actually three quarters of a million dollar project, um, but you know what? Um, God has all the money in the world, and He knows His children have been traumatized. And um, and anyway, so it's going out to uh, fundraising, and um, I'm working with the CEO of Angel Network and and many many other people to help raise the funds for this. And we have the top trauma professionals on it. So we, you, I'm giving you the best of the best, and and I'm not giving you it to you. God is, but I've been adamant that that um, trauma should always be surrounded by beauty. Trauma recovery should always be surrounded by beauty. So we are. This is a very high end, um, beautiful project with incredible film producers, and we have, like I said, the top trauma therapists on it in the country for children, men, and women, and we also have incredible theologians that will really give you, you know, uh, scriptural insight about, um, you know, what trauma is and how you can recover from it in God's love. Um, I have this woman, um, she's from Harvard Medical School, she's the head of brain science, but she said something to me really um, uh, validating. She said, um, Julie, this is groundbreaking. Uh, there's never, as far as we know, been anything done through film and written curriculum that it brings together faith, psychology, and science to heal a broken world. But really, it's the love of God that heals a broken world. So so I'm praising God that this is now, um, after all these years of honestly people taking from me and um, trying to pull me off off a uh, task, to, um, um, you know, Satan does not want this project out mm-hmm. there, and I have fought hard to make sure, uh, you know, I'm giving this battle to God because this is his battle. But I've went through, um, I've had three brain surgeries and cancer, and wow. um, but I feel like God has given me an unstoppable mission to heal, like I said, as a little girl, to heal a broken world with the love of God. 
That was going to be one of my questions at the end of the day. What do you hope people will take away not only from this project, but from your story? My takeaway is uh, I just want to say um, whoever you are, God knows your pain. He cries with you. He weeps with you. He loves you. He wants to bring you into his healing presence. He has not forgotten you. You matter so much to him. And I pray that this program that I'm creating called Shattered and Restored, I'm praying that right now that you will know that um, that I, I and my team of people that are creating this, love you, and we want you to know that there is a community of people out there that love you and, and want you to heal and that will love on you and they will be the community of Christ to love on you. So, so when I created the Wildflower Project, it started literally like, churches because people you know people in church they want to be they want to be real they want to share their story and so anyway so i pray that you can um go to my website restoring the heart ministries um and i also have a website julie and rose go into my website and watch and if you feel led uh, please give to our our ministry so that we can we can um use those finances to heal a broken world. This isn't about money. This isn't about me making money at all. We basically made not a whole lot. Of, we just kept the ministry going from the Wildflower Project. But this is really about every penny will go in to heal the broken in so many different ways. And we pray that it will also be translated into different languages. Thank you so much for making time for us and for being vulnerable and sharing your story. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. If you have a story to share with us at Connections, check out our social media Connections podcast with Mike, Tom and Colleen Hood. We'll talk to you again on Connections.